millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello and welcome to Circadian Scare. This is the podcast where I say it's okay to not be okay. I'm Johnny Seafoot and every week I'm joined by one very special guest. My guest today is a dear friend who first appeared on episode 77 of Circadian Curve. She's not only a sex relationships expert, but an incredible author with three novels set in a brothel, an airport, and now a dating agency as she releases The Matchmaker's Match. And she's now such a dear friend because when you buy her book and you open the pages, page one, page two, page three, you get to the thanks page, you go down past name one, two, <laughs> three, four, five, on line six... Is Johnny Seifert, the host of It's me, and I have to really support this book, don't I, really? You I'm do. delighted to welcome to Skidding Skirt, Annabelle Knight. Hello, you absolutely have to support it. Line your six. Name's in it. Line six. Line six. But how many thanks are in there? Like eight, nine, ten, twelve? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven. Who's the seventh? Steve Martin. Oh, he's my stepdad. You made it before family. Well, actually, that's quite a good idea. Let's go for it. Right, so who's Matt Bell? He's my husband. Well, I suppose. Sabrina Wagstaff. Sister. The Creasy family. I'm godmother to their offspring. It's like being on the family fortune. Yeah. The Creasy family from London. <laughs> Bobo and Binky. My fur babies. Lise Hoey. Is one of my best friends. So... Your best friends, your family, and me. Yes. I'm going to cry. Oh, no, you have been. You should not have put me on there. You've championing my work since um, before I even believed in myself. So that is how integral you have been to my career. We met in 2017, and you hadn't released your first book yet. And I remember being on the Camden Look on the phone to you. I don't know how I remember this. And you were telling me you're going to be doing this book next year. And I was so excited for you. I can't remember. I can't remember. I can't believe you remember that. That was so long ago. Because I, when I first met you, I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I know. Because you know those people you vibe off of. And you have the yeah, totally. You're like, and we've always had an amazing friendship. And I'm like, when you said you're going to write a book, I was like, I need to read it. And the first book 
which was called The Endless Autumn, and I can't believe yes, the I endless can't autumn. get there. That was a long time ago. The Chasing Clouds one, set in an airport, amazing. The Matchmakers match, incredible. It's my favourite one, definitely by far. I feel like I've really hit my stride um, storytelling-wise with this one. I think you... So what's interesting about you is that when you do your books, like Fifty Shades of Grey, you go normal, 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 sex, 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 <laughs> normal, normal, normal. And I think at the beginning, it was like a lot of sex. And yeah. I think now you've found the place of... The sex really fits in this moment. Yes, it doesn't override it. I think it. I found the balance between keeping it sexy but also keeping it story. Yeah. So it's like one one drives the other rather than it just being really sex focused and then stuff happens around that. I think that's right. And I think you're very... And it's, it's always been like your central character. So Autumn, for example, central character, everything base is around her. Mm-hmm. But then when you get to the matchmaker's match, Alice Atwood is the main character. But actually, I was more interested in Chloe, who's her best friend, than Alice herself. So I wanted to do um, something a little different with this book, whereby um, you have a main character, but they are only the main character through the support of the people they're close to. And I wanted this to be really kind of female focused and about friendship so that's why we've got Lindsay and we've got chloe and they are the fundamental struts that keep alice up and um yeah i thought it was really important because quite often in books i'll, I'll read them and there'll be a protagonist who just seems to kind of go it alone and do things their own way and that's not really life is it like we've all got close friends and family that we go to and they really have an impact on what we do and how we make our decisions and i wanted that to be reflective in the writing and also, we've had a massive trend in the past five years or so where authors will create a novel with two stories that then come together for the final parts. So you kind of have person one talks, person two talks, person one talks, person two talks. And you're having two stories that do come together, but you've got to really work out what's going on. Whereas you've gone very straight with, this is the story. And that's why it really matters who's around you so that you can follow that story and that narrative. Yeah, I wanted it to be kind of, a stripped back story in the sense of like I always think my books are kind of beach reads like you put them in your suitcase you take them on holiday with you and you can happily read one in a week and you know it's done it's it's a perfect kind of poolside companion and sometimes you know you pick it up you put it down you like call a waiter over you want a glass of wine or a cocktail you go for lunch you go for a dip and if you've got a really complicated story, certainly for me, I find I'm flicking back a couple of pages because I'm like, what just happened? What did I miss? Oh, I can't remember what happened. So I wanted to keep it pretty straightforward in terms of we're always moving forward. The story takes kind of one path, but there are many people on that journey. So you've got Lindsay's story. You've got Nathan's story. You've got Chloe. What's happening with Chloe as well? So there's quite a lot going on, but it's all going in the same direction. You've got 20 chapters in the book. How conscious are you then, like you said, if the waiter's coming along and I want a drink, you're going to put the, the book down. How conscious are you of someone finishing that chapter? Because for me, when I read a book, I usually tend to read about 30 pages a night or two chapters worth. I don't want to read masses, but equally I don't want to feel like I've not read anything. So when you're telling a story like that and you split it into 20 chapters, how conscious are you of that story flowing? Because you have got, like you said, six big characters there. Yeah, massively conscious. I think it's definitely something that's always kind of when I'm, not necessarily when I'm writing, but when I'm planning. So I like to outline my story. I have it, um, my office is basically one big wall of the world that I'm writing about. And I like to do a timeline of events, which then I convert into kind of, Uh, chapters so I will at the beginning of every chapter when I write chapter one chapter two chapter three whatever I have a paragraph of what has to happen in that chapter and I I 
want to do it within a certain number of pages so the challenge is to convey that information within uh, like a certain number of pages while staying true to the characters true to the story and not restricting yourself so much that you're missing bits out it's, it is quite a challenge to write I think like a beach book because people think oh you know they're really easy to read but they're really um difficult to write and they're really like curated so that they are easy to read it's very interesting uh, Andrew McLean who used to obviously host Loose Women has been on the guests on Security and Secure before she said to me years ago an amazing phrase I've just never forgotten that and it, and it relates to the books is that like sometimes when she's hosting live TV she's like a swan so on top everything that's really nice and underneath she's flapping around because there's so much else going on and that's like what you said of an easy read the reason it's an easy read is because the hard work's gone into it to begin with and therefore it does seem so simple but because there's so many elements to make it like that yeah absolutely it's a it's a massive juggling act it's a lot of work it's a lot of research and planning and outlining and before i even begin typing i've probably done 3 months worth of work on the book and i think a lot of that kind of that side of things then it never gets acknowledged or noticed because when I'm talking about the book or when I'm publicising it, I'm talking about the story as it stands, not how we got there. Okay, well then go back. How was the Matchmaker's Match originally formatted? Oh my God. So uh, the Matchmaker's Match originally was probably about 60 A4 pieces of paper with all sorts of scribblings on, with story beats, we call them story beats. And then all of that got ripped up, so each kind of, beat or story arc was like a few sentences and I sat on my living room floor I moved my coffee table my rug everything out of the way and I structured it on the floor of my living room by moving literally moving bits of paper around until I had what looked to be like a pretty decent story uh, in front of me and then then I decided to pour a celebratory glass of wine and when I came in my dogs were playing in the living room and a ball had been pushed through the papers. So loads of them were kind of out of order. So I had ended up rearranging it and having a completely different order. I felt worked much better. So that's why Bobo and Binky are in the thanks. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, it's not character driven necessarily for your books. It's very much based on a scene. So like we said, you know, your first book was set in a brothel. Your mm -hmm. second book was set on an airplane. The third book was set in a dating agency. Why a dating agency? And why a dating agency in 2022? Everyone always says about me that I'm like a pensioner waiting to grow into my age, like I'm old before my time. So I like kind of old fashioned things. And that, <laughs> which sounds crazy for a, like someone like me who does love dating and sex and relationships for a living. But I'm not a big fan of the modern dating world. So I thought if I was, you know, if I was to kind of match people up, I would do it how I met my husband which was we were matched by friends and so I decided to take it one step further and, and come up with a woman who doesn't like the modern world she doesn't like she's kind of detached she's detached from all of that and in do in being that way has come up with her own unique but slightly old-fashioned way of doing things and it just like her character is quite stubborn she's quite cold to start with and I think the way she's chosen to run her business is really reflective of that because she almost refuses to get with the times. And as such, she's managed to curate a very bespoke service that's used by people with kind of uh, a lot of money or a lot of profile who maybe themselves wouldn't feel comfortable being on like a dating app. So 
looking at the world post pandemic, you haven't got those big venues that everyone's going to anymore. I think the apps, you know, they've been going for 10 years now. Uh, I remember reading an article in the Sunday Times uh, a couple of months ago that said there's only 200,000 people on Hinge. So for me, for example, there's 200,000 people on Hinge. So let's say there's 100,000 girls, 100,000 boys. So there's 100,000 girls on Hinge, right? I'm only going to date a Jewish girl. So that pool, and also I'm only going to date a Jewish girl who lives in Northwest London. So that pool, I'm looking at probably, what, 100 girls in that? Oh, if that. If that. Yeah. And so you're like, how am I ever going to find a girlfriend? Is there not? I feel like this niche hasn't been exploited commercially. Like, there should be a dating app for people who have specific needs when it comes to dating. There should be. And there are certain matchmakers, but they've got very weird criterias. Um, And I think the problem is is that we don't know what to do with single people in the UK now. Because if you're not going clubbing, and post-pandemic, you're quite happy being at home... Mm -hmm. You need somewhere to go to. I mean, I would love... There's a place in Northwest London that I wish catered for my age, but it doesn't. It's a, a much older audience. And it's a, a cafe you can go to. And every Thursday night at nine o'clock... I've made up the date and time because I actually can't remember what it is. But it's in the <laughs> evening. I think it's, it's either a Thursday or Tuesday. I went to it once and I walked past. I was like, oh, I'm going to go in today. And I saw how old it was or something. Um, but basically, you have these conversations and anyone can have a conversation. You just choose what you're going to talk about. And I love the idea I could go somewhere, have this amazing deep like conversation. Like when you go to a dinner party and there's icebreaker cards on the table and you just pick them up and they have a topic on. Yeah. I love that idea. But a topic that isn't a stupid one of yeah. like your dream dinner party. So, for example, I saw a friend yesterday and I haven't seen her in 10 years. And she said, well, why have we not seen each other in 10 years? And I said, well, do you want me to be honest? To be honest with you? She said, you... I didn't have a role in your life to play because you had enough friends who had those roles Mm. in that moment of time. And I love the idea of conversations about roles and boundaries and values. You're not going to have that with a friend every day, but to meet someone new and go, right, what are your values? What Mm -hmm. are your boundaries? What what role do we play in the world? That's how I know I'm going to get stimulated emotionally, intelligently, and I'm going to grow with someone. And that's what I'm looking for. But I'm not going to get that on a dating app when people's profiles are like, oh, um, I bet I know where Madeleine McCann is. Or, oh, um, uh, my favourite food is pasta. And you're like, where are we going with this? Yeah, pineapple on pasta changed my mind. Oh, yeah. That's, that's new and interesting. But I feel, I always feel sorry for people on dating apps because Thank you. it's one of those things where it it's the most obvious route to go. If you are single, you go on a dating app and, and your options for how you meet someone are pretty narrow now. Like you say, like post-pandemic, no, not so much big venues. You've got to... Either you're meeting someone organically through someone, in which case your friends have to know someone for you, or you're going on dating apps. And then you've just got this kind of like, you know, one profile fits all template you have to fill in. And it takes out kind of the unique of people and and removes their individuality and also does that whilst you've got three seconds to impress you know how how long do you look at someone's profile before you say no it's a handful of seconds if if you're doing a snap judgment so i don't think dating apps are particularly helpful for people who are looking for long-term serious deep connections i mean obviously they do work i know plenty of people that met on dating apps that are now married but out of all of the people i know it's still a very small percentage and then you go well okay well you can pay this amount to have your profile boosted have your Mm. profile boosted get double the likes double the you know unlimited likes 
And you go, well, I don't really want to pay for that. And then you go, okay, well, I'm going to go to a dating agent, like the attachment agency from your book. And you go, right, do I want a dating agent to do it? Okay, well, look, I'll put my trust in their hands because they've got this massive pool. And you pay £30 a month. You're like, well, hold on a minute. Why am I paying £2,000 just to get these matches? Mm. Then I've got to pay for the dates on top. Stereotypically, as a guy. And you're like, I'm spending a fortune on this. How much am I actually invested in this? Yeah. And also, I've been with dating agents in the past. Oh, the rejection. Oh, here's a perfect girl for you. You go to it, you go, no. You know what you like. Mm. I know what my ideal girl looks like. I know the girls that I will flirt with and the girls I'm not interested in. You're not going to change my mind on that because... Well, ultimately, you've got to have initial attraction, haven't Correct. you? Correct. Yeah. And so you go, well, okay, you put me on this date. I've paid all this money for this date. No, this isn't me. And then you get rejected yourself because you feel... No one understands me. And I feel rejected because I don't feel like... But that just makes everyone in the equation feel bad. The, the Apart girl from the feels... dating agent who gets yeah. the money for it. Who <laughs> cashes your check, yeah. Oh, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like there's no right answer at the moment. I feel like a lot of people feel the way you do right now. I've had so many messages on social media. People desperate for advice on how to meet someone. And it's really difficult because the generic advice, which is probably the best advice doesn't work for a lot of people uh, how they are now there a lot of people are still working from home a lot of people like you quite rightly said are comfortable in their own skin in their own house and it's not i, I just think maybe we're not quite as social as we once were no we're not at all so therefore how you supposed to meet someone if you're not going to go to a bar and if all your friends are relationships mm. you're not going to go clubbing but the other thing is if you are even if you are going to go to a bar the majority of people also at that bar aren't there for the specific purpose of meeting someone they're meeting friends they're there to, they're mm. on a work drinks or, or like you know seeing family members i think specific events for singles are and we are seeing a rise in these events um popping up all over the country again and they're i think singles events sounds i get a lot of eye rolls when i talk about this like people are like that's so lame but it's actually not because it takes away the mystery and the kind of frustration you might feel of trying to organically date in a non-dating specific scenario when you step through a door of a singles event you know everyone in that room is looking for a partner it takes away that that kind of are they should, should i flirt with them are they single mate are they married can i get a, are they wearing a ring and it gives you the green light to to approach anyone because they're all there for the same thing which is love do you know what it's really funny i think there's such a stigma around those dating events because you're going well, they must be really desperate. They must be really desperate if they're going to go to that. They're all going to be weird people who Let's are going to be there. Let's replace the word desperate with motivated. Yeah. But then you're thinking the same. Yeah. And you're thinking, well, hold on, I've not had any luck, so surely I should be going there. So we're all on the same page. And yet we're not because systematically as a society, that isn't the done thing. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, 
turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Mm-hmm. Done thing still, I think, in the past 10 years is go on the app, you will find a match. But 10 years ago, if you told someone you were going on a date with someone from the internet, people are like, Are you insane? You're going to be murdered. And that, like, internet dating, there was such a stigma around it. My sister in law met her husband on the internet, and they've been married 10 years. And she said, You know, she it was really reserved about initially saying I'm meeting a guy off Tinder because Tinder was like a hookup site. You didn't meet people to create kind of long-term relationships. Yet a lot of people on there were, look, that's exactly what they were looking for. I just, I, I just don't know where we go from here, Annabelle. We need to create some kind of like Jewish singles dating event that you can host. Oh, here we go. Married at first sight, you're Jewish. You've got me as the host. <laughs> you coming in as our sex and relationships expert. By any chance? Perfect. Oh, there we go. There you go. There's a show. Created a job for myself. <laughs> <laughs> but that is the point. And I think, and I, look, I, I'm talking from experience as a Jewish person, but I'm sure every ethnicity is probably going through the same thing as well. And it is really hard. And like I said, post-pandemic, it's really hard. But also meeting new friends as well is really hard. Mm-hmm. How do you meet new people? There is nowhere to go. And people say, have a hobby. Well, what is my hobby? I don't really have a hobby. People, A lot of people don't have hobbies anymore. It's kind of a thing of the past. Yeah. When I think about my interests, I would say hobbies. I love nature and hiking, but I like that because I find it's really good for my mental health. So I go alone. Like That's the thing I like to do is go for really long walks, go to the Lake District, go to the peaks, go for a really long walk with my dogs. And I'm usually on my own. That doesn't mean I'm going to meet any new friends because I want to be on my own. Exercise. Again, I put my headphones on. I'm in my, It's for my mental health. I do it on my own films we don't meet anyone in the cinema because we've all got to be quiet so it's like it's really difficult to yeah to meet new friends unless you're going to play football because it's like go to a book club well no because i like the book myself i don't want to talk about it with anyone else mm. you know and it's interesting some authors put questions suggest as questions at the end of the book what did you think about what chloe did what did you think about what the agency stood for it's like well I'll have a think about it myself. I don't need to discuss it with other people. Yeah, absolutely. It's a very that, intimate I mean, relationship. Books are, they, it's you and the book, isn't it? It's your mm. interpretation of it. I do, I do like hearing um, 
a reviewer read it the other day and did uh, such a wonderful like usually you get reviews that are like on the whole positive but that you know no one's no one likes to gush about anything really they always say oh i love this but and then there's a few ideas but this one was almost 100 percent positive and it was really weird to read because i was waiting for the bit where they're like but something wasn't good about it or something wasn't quite right and it was a really weird um experience kind of being in the mind of someone who just thought entirely positive things about it because i was like where's the critique because <laughs> even even when I read something that I fully love, I still have that like kind of slightly critical brain, you know, the like intellectual part that everything's sparked and firing when you're reading something. Do you prefer to have criticisms to help you for the next book? Um, yeah, it depends because sometimes the criticisms are kind of just personal taste and I can't ever change my writing style or the way I do certain things. That is my style. But sometimes criticism is really helpful other times, uh, I think, I think sometimes people just like to have something to say, so they, they either think they're being helpful or they genuinely feel like they might be being helpful. But I don't write for anyone else but myself. So even when I do get criticisms, unless I think it's really actively useful, like a uh, something I can physically, like employ, it's my own work, it's my own process. I can't really do much about. I think it's interesting when it comes to authors. It's not like a TV show authors have their own following okay so unless you're a celebrity like let's say richard osman right mm. he's got three books everyone is talking about him. it's number one in the charts constantly that you might want to read because you're thinking well everyone else is reading about it but on the whole usually you seek out your authors and i'm i read about 50 books a year and so most of my favorite authors release two books a year so really i've only got time for maybe five to ten new authors a year to read mm. and i find it really hard to like a new author really hard even if they've got loads of books out because i've got my relationship with my authors and i know what their writing style is like yeah. and you've got your following you've got the people who've read book one go right i need book two and if you're releasing one a year i'm waiting for that book it's down okay great i'm gonna buy it i'm, I'm gonna love it and i know i'm gonna love it and so it's surprising that you get negative feedback because your audience are the ones who know you already. But the, so the negative feedback I tend to get is from reviewers rather than people who have kind of taken a chance on the first book, liked it, and then kind of stuck with me through the rest of them. It'll be like, uh, so the books get sent out for PR and press and they'll go to certain reviewers and they'll give it X amount of stars. And to be fair, I haven't had anything like catastrophically bad said uh, from professional reviewers. I have, however, had a book club reader and two people in the book club. It was too raunchy for them. They didn't like they didn't like the sex. They thought it was uh, out of place in the because my stories are quite soft and romantic, but there is definitely like kind of sexy undertones, if not overtones, in certain places. And uh, yeah, they did not like the sex in it at all, and they said it ruined the story. It degraded the main character it was a three-pronged attack and i felt very much like there were it was quite an, like kind of anti-feminist stance it was like this woman is she's too nice to have that kind of sex and i just thought well you don't know looking at someone what they're into when their bedroom door closes so it was it was a little bit hurtful if i'm being truly honest but you know it has to be water off a duck's back well it does but then the character so for example the main character in your book is seen very much like 
oh, I don't want to kiss someone. I'm not in the office. You know, mm-hmm. very private. But we also know that you have a life behind closed doors. Mm-hmm. And the reason why you read a book is to get that other side. You know, you're supposed to know these characters inside out like they're your friends because with a book, I don't know what the average time to read a book is. For me, it's about a week. If they're with me every single day, I feel like they're my best friend at the end of it. And so I need to see all their sides. Yeah, I, I and I like that and I appreciate that. And But I think it really comes, it is really clear and it comes through a lot that you're a fan of novels, like you're a reading fan. It's not you like to read, but only certain types of books. Like you... You just read all the time. I can't believe you read 50 books a year. Welcome to showbiz. I oh, know. I wish. I, I was going to say, I wish I had the time for it. I do. I wish I had the concentration for it. So I do half an hour in the bath to an hour in the bath every single night. Mm. And then on a holiday, I'll read three or four books in a week. See, on holiday, I can sit and read. Like I, I read The Kite Runner a couple of years ago. And I read that in a day. And... It was so gripping and I just sat down and, and read and it was brilliant. So I know I can do it. It's just when I'm at home, there's like, oh, I need to put the washing on. Oh, I haven't emptied the dishwasher. Oh, I've need. Oh, I've got to do the X, Y and Z. And I just, I can't seem to clear the noise and just focus on the story. But it's the same like a TV programme. You know you're sitting down religiously to watch that programme. If you know you've got one of your favourite authors who's just released a book and you're reading that book and you know it's like a TV programme, that it's amazing, you're going to want to sit down for half an hour a night to read it. Yeah, but I'll look at my phone and do other stuff while I'm watching TV. You can't do that when you're reading. Well, what you do is you set yourself little alarms in your head internally, kind of going, well, look, after this chapter, when I finish this chapter, I'll go and have five minutes on my phone. Then I'll read the next chapter five minutes on my phone oh it's time to get out i'm actually so bad with my phone that i bought what's called a k safe and you it's like a plastic oh, box don't tell me with a lid. People. i am I, and i tell you what it's actually saving my life because i just put put it in the safe set the alarm for like three hours five hours nine hours i did the other day and i just you just can't get to your phone in in that time so it's it stops you from looking at it and once it's taken away from me I'm like a toddler once it's taken away from me i don't even think about it See, I struggle on flights. I was on a flight for eight hours to Miami the other week. And I was like, right, if I was now tweeting, I'd be watching this. And I just wrote out a load <laughs> of tweets that I would be sending if I could. Because oh I'm so addicted to my phone. Yeah, I am too. And I, I like to think I'm not. But when I look at my screen time, I'm looking at my phone for like between three and four hours a day. Three to four. How do I find my screen time? Uh, settings. Uh, settings. Let's have a look. I bet mine's loads today already because I've been on a train. Oh, screen time. So, yeah, but what's your daily average? My daily average. Oh, my goodness. Because that takes away the whole week. I can't find it now. Where was it? So, settings. Everyone listening. Settings, screen time. Daily average, four hours and four minutes. Six hours, 52 minutes. How do you read 50 books a year with a, a... Almost seven hours a day. That's almost a full-time job on your phone. It is. It is. Today we're recording it. I've been on it for an hour and 58. Yesterday, seven hours 20. Thursday, eight hours, 18 minutes. Do you use it for like Google Maps and things? Where... But what does it mean, eight hours? I'm not sat on my phone for eight hours physically. Does it mean your, your screen has been active for eight hours that day? So whether you've let... Can you leave it on? Is it if you've not locked it? Yeah. So I've got mine, my, after two minutes, mine automatically locks. No, mine does lock after 30 seconds, but I think... That, has, that is you on your phone for 
I've never met. That must be a world record. Wow. Um, can we end the podcast here? Yeah. And, uh, can we just delete that I have no life and there's a reason why I'm single? Oh, my goodness. Is AR, can you, if you're listening, uh, can you put in the comments, or actually, can you, on Instagram, at Annabelle Knight, at Johnny Seabrook, can you put what your screen time is? Yeah, tag us and let us know your screen time. Because I thought, I was I was just horrified that mine was over four hours. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, mine's nearly seven. <laughs> I don't know how that's happened. I'm on my phone quite a lot. See, I thought mine would be loads because I've been on the train today. So I had to, I just had like, a, and I've had to get, find my way around London. So I've used Google Well, actually, Maps. can I change it? Does it make a difference if you use your Mac laptop and it syncs to your phone? No, it's only for the phone screen. It's when you're actively on your phone. Eight hours. Because if it did, I would be on mine for like 10 hours a day because my Mac what, that I write on is linked to my phone and I'm on that hours every day. See, that's why I think it's it's included because I use my laptop for work from home. Yeah, but I use my laptop all day. Like yesterday, my screen time was like three and a half hours, but I was on my laptop for like nine hours working. Right, there's a reason I'm single. <laughs> there's a reason I'm single. Um, Annabelle, what should I do to my dating profile to make it better? Oh, what we are your have top a tips? look at your dating profile. Should we do so it? My top tips are authenticity, authenticity, and more authenticity. When it comes to your pictures, don't have any single photo that is older than six months. I know that's hard. People love like a photo from three or four years ago when they look amazing and they're on holiday and they've got a tan. Nope, get rid of it. That's not who you are right now. That is who you were three years ago on Mykonos Beach. So photos, keep them updated. Change them fairly regularly so you keep your profile fresh. Keep things succinct to the point, honest and interesting so if you which dating which app are you on i'm just getting onto my hinge you profile hinge, for you yes right and then basically you can just redo this for me so um i get likes right so and also how often should you delete your account and re-add it so that you come up on everyone's fresh i've just joined oh i've never been asked that question before i would say if you ever have kind of a big life like a change in maybe your circumstances or say you uh, change your appearance or, or whatever, like, I don't know, you've dyed your hair or you've lost 20 pounds or you've been hitting the gym. Maybe t go offline for a little bit. Have a have a little kind of couple of week, three week break from dating completely. So it's just you and yourself and then go back on it with a whole new set of pictures and re-look at what you've put in your text. Rather than what I do is, which is delete my account every week, re-download it, thinking that it will suddenly get me likes. It never does. Okay. So I haven't actually ever used Hinge, so I'm dreading. But people know you're Annabelle Knight, dating, sex and relationships expert to the world. You're the world-leading sex and relationships expert. Oh, I think this profile's actually really nice, Johnny. And no one ever likes me. So is that your main picture? Yeah, so for those who are listening, it's basically I was in the Bahamas last week and I'm standing on a seat in the middle of the sea so it looks like I've got money and I'm breathing <laughs> in and, uh, and you've got I look quite good. And I'm really tan, but you I'm breathing do. in massively so it looks like I've got a massive six-pack and I really don't. I personally would swap so this is your main photo because I did read a thing the other day, the other day, I love this. So I'll tell stories. I'm like, oh, the other week. And then when I actually, I'm like, oh, that was before the pandemic. <laughs> this was a few weeks ago. Um, and it was talking about beach pictures on dating profiles. And it was saying that they can be off-putting because 
people want a little bit of mystery and they feel like they that you know you've sold the farm if you've got a like a bikini or a beach pic because they can see your whole your like everything you've got to offer I don't know whether I agree with that or not because I think if you look amazing and tanned I would probably have that as my no do you know what? I do agree to you to an extent because the way girls do these stupid photos and these stupid day beds where they stand up and they sit on their knees do you know the ones I'm talking oh, about oh I know exactly yeah I've done those oh, <laughs> oh I'm kidding I just don't understand them but I would say this photo... So that's me on a cruise wearing a top that says 1992, 30 years of being awesome I got for my birthday. Um, I mean, It, t- uh, it tells a story. It's nice and festive. And also, just looking at these photos and knowing you, I feel that is more who you're going to get. Okay. Um, it's also a really nice photo. and Your skin looks amazing. Thank you. And then I like the family photo. I like the photo where you're wearing a tuxedo. And also... The insightful questions. How are you feeling? Like you're asking, you're you're pulling people in. As far as I can see, this is a really good profile. Is this a voice note on there? Uh, yeah. Do you want to play it? I don't remember what I said. I'll play it up to microphone. So it says, "Dating me is like." Hold on, let me turn it up. This is gonna be embarrassing. Dating me is like on a Friday night having a big bowl of chicken soup, followed by lighting up the Christmas tree, putting a Hallmark Christmas film on Channel 5, and just eating a box of chocolates. Because life's a box of chocolates, you don't know what you're going to get. You then light the candles, the hot chocolate Baileys comes out of a couple of little marshmallows on top. You feel relaxed, you're watching a love story, and that is going to be us one day. Oh, I like that. I, I've completely forgotten I about like that. that. The only thing is, where did you record it? Because it sounds like the toilets. It's echoing. Yeah, it is echoing. Should I do it with a radio mic? Oh, I'll yes, play the audio. Do, uh, do it professionally. Oh, I like that. That's a very nice voice. Um, well, there we go. There's a reason I'm single. Annabelle, I can't thank you enough. Can you just sell the matchmaker's match for me? Why should oh, people okay. buy it? Okay. Um, my new book, The Matchmaker's Match, is a perfect, I was going to say holiday read, but the cold nights are drawing in, so it would make a great fireside companion as well. It is a story of love, of lust, of friendship, and of personal growth. Annabelle Knight. If you want to learn about the history of her as a sex relationship, let's go listen to episode 77 of Sukhavin's Girl. This episode is very much about her book, The Matchmaker's Match. It's out to go and buy now. Please do go and buy it for Christmas. It's an amazing book. This has been Sukhavin's Girl with me, Johnny. See, if you like me, heard, please do go and rate the podcast, subscribe, share it with a friend, tell someone that Security Insecure exists. And on Instagram, it's at Security Insecure Podcast. I put all the previous episode teasers there. I know we've had a little break over the past couple of weeks. I've been on holiday for my birthday, but I'm back in full force. Until next time, thank you and goodbye. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more 
and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.